You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Wonderful worship. Now we're trusting for a powerful word that will have an application in our lives that will go far beyond this morning. Steve, your prayer was so right on with what I'm going to say today, especially in the application of this message. Tendi, go sit with Grandma. Love them to death, right? So Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, that was last week, and we covered a very interesting passage, to say the least, and the title was Extraordinary Things, and this was the main verse. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. And we said, we don't even have a frame of reference for understanding something like this. In our culture, in our generation, in this day, in Western civilization, we don't even have a frame of reference for covering something like this. Understanding something like this. And at first read, it seems rather bizarre. But then we determined something and we realized Luke's primary focus in this passage last week was not anointed hankies and aprons. They were the facts. It was the biblical principle behind the facts that he wanted us to understand. This is as true today as it was then. Thank you, Art. Others. The gospel message is to be accompanied by and authenticated by miraculous signs and wonders. The gospel message is to be attested by the power of God to heal, save, and deliver. That's what God's doing. With everything else that he is managing, the affairs of men, the, uh, the science of the universe, with everything else that he is managing, the main thing that God is about, the main thing on his mind and definitely on his heart, is to save, heal, and deliver lost human beings, restore them to a relationship with him. Honestly, nothing else really matters to God. From Genesis 3 till Revelation 22, that's what God's all about, restoring a lost human race to himself. He went to every provision, great sacrifice to the Godhead to make that doable. The unfortunate thing is it's not automatic on every human being. It's those who will believe it and receive Jesus as their Savior. That's when it becomes applicable. Always, in every generation, in every culture, in every nation, God is working to heal, save, and deliver. And one of his primary chosen methods, which is very foreign to us, is through signs, wonders, and miracles. 
You read the scripture, you can't get away from it. You look at life today, you don't see much of it. We can't judge the scripture by our lives today. We got to judge our lives today by the scripture. Don't worry, Heather, I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to get to you. You'll be coming up. The hankies and aprons of Paul were just earthly props, so to speak. In this instance, Acts chapter 19, these were just the earthly props through which God chose to release his power, to heal, save, and deliver, similar to the tassels of Jesus' garments, to the shadow of Peter, to the pool of Siloam. God chooses to heal, save, and deliver through so many different ways. We can't lock him into a box that there's only one way. Now this week, another interesting Verse, another interesting follow up verse. It involves the sons of Sceva, and reportedly there were seven of them. Now, Heather, if you'll come, as Heather makes her way up, we'll stand. You know the drill. Unless you're visiting with us, you know the drill. We stand to honor God's word. And Heather will be reading Acts chapter 19, I think verses 13 through 20. Some Jews, went, sorry, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this came known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had pr practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Thank you. You may be seated. Another bizarre passage, right, that we must contend with. It came up in our series, and it is the word of God. Therefore, we can't skip over it. Acts chapter 19, verses 13, 13 through 20. Today's title, Exorcism Gone Bad. You like that title? I like that title. Let's first define exorcism just in case we don't know. Exorcism, it's not exercise, it's exorcism. It's the attempt to expel an evil spirit from a person or a place often using chanting, magic words, formulas, rituals, incantations, spells, etc., on and on. And this practice was very prevalent in these days, especially in Ephesus. Because remember, like most of the cities in that area, only probably worse, Ephesus was steeped in the occult. Ephesus was steeped in witchcraft, in superstition, 
Ephesus was heavily into idolatry, false gods and goddesses, sacrificing to them, those types of things. The city was known for that. The city was steeped in that, as well as many other cities of that area, Corinth, Athens, many of those cities in, in southern Greece and then over into what is now Turkey. Acts chapter 19, 13, and 14. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. So these guys were the sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest. They went traveling around the region looking for people who were possessed by demons to exercise. Kind of a traveling deliverance ministry, if you will. Not sure if it was a money-making scheme or what. It doesn't really say, but that's what they did. They traveled around looking for people who were demon-possessed that they could exercise the demons. So let's take care of the elephant in the room right up front. The question everybody has when they read this verse, well, maybe not everybody, maybe you didn't, but the question that many people have when they read this verse is, were they believers? Anybody, did that cross your mind? Were they believers? How many actually at least that crossed their mind? Not too many. The answer? They were not believers. Well, how do you know they weren't believers? Well, there are several clues in the passage. First of all, Luke calls them a group of Jews. Luke always refers to believers as believers or Jewish believers. And he always refers to Jewish people, Jewish unbelievers, as Jews. Here he refers to the sons of Sceva as a group of Jews, non-believers. They were the sons of a Jewish, a Jewish priest. The thought being they practiced Judaism, not Christianity. Following? Second clue. In this particular exorcism instance, they tried to incorporate the name of Jesus as another ingredient into the regular ritual of incantations, magic formulas, um, potions, rituals, the whole works. They tried to insert the name of Jesus in with all those other things. You think that's going to work? That is not going to work. They didn't know that before, the before and after picture. They didn't know it before, they knew it after. They tried to make the name of Jesus just one of many things that they were going to use to cast out this demon. And also, you may have picked up on this. And again, I'll give you a hint for the messages. The words in bold are often the things I'm going to talk about. So if you pay particularly attention to words that are in bold type, you'll have a feel for where I'm headed. It's very telling that they referred to Jesus as the Jesus whom Paul preaches not the Jesus whom they knew personally. Did you pick up on that in the reading? 
Well, we're going to see in a moment that didn't work, that didn't cut it. But I have a point of application for us. This is for us today off of this passage. If we are going to take on the demonic spirit, a demonic spirit or the demonic, we need to make sure we know Jesus. Not only know him, we need to make sure we have a personal, intimate relationship with him. We need to make sure that we're keeping very short accounts of sin. We need to make sure that we're fessed up. And we're not carrying around any willful, unconfessed sin. No rebellion. Because if we are, if we have willful, unconfessed sin, if we're in rebellion, if we're resisting God's will, that gives Satan an opening into our lives. That gives Satan permission to resist. So you don't want to go in taking on a demonic, the demonic, with willful, unconfessed sin, a spirit of rebellion or resistance towards God, or knowingly being out of his will. None of us are ever perfect. There's always a sin issue. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're not looking for perfection. But we are looking to be very serious about our walk with the Lord if we're going to have confrontation with the demonic. Even if we aren't, we need to be serious about that. But we need to especially be serious about that. Also, if we're going to take on a demonic spirit, it'd be a good thing to know that the Holy Spirit is directing us to do so. But pastor, yes, I know. We have authority over the demonic. I'm well aware of that. But I still don't think it's a good practice, and I don't think we're called to go looking for demonic forces to take on. You might get more than you bargained for if the Holy Spirit didn't lead you into that situation. Here's a good rule of thumb in this matter. Are you interested in this? Okay. Don't go looking for the demonic. However, if the demonic looks for you, if the demonic begins to harass and confront you, if the demonic tries, tries to hinder your ministry, especially your ministry to others. If the demonic gets in your face, then yes, we'd exercise authority of Christ over that. Good example right here. Acts chapter 16. As we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. In other words, she was a fortune teller. She was a psychic. She was into the occult. She followed us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. And this went on day after day. The demonic was harassing. Paul got so exasperated that he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. This is a good example of what we're talking about. In this text, Paul and his companions, they were not out demon hunting. They were not trying to implement some kind of deliverance ministry, looking for people who were demon-possessed to cast out the demon. In this case, the demon was harassing Paul, 
and his companions. The demon was hindering their ministry and their kingdom work very clearly. And Paul took authority over it. In our text today, the sons of Sceva were harassing the demon. And the demon took authority over them. So again, a rule of thumb for this, this matter of, you don't really even like to talk about it, I know. Like I said, if it wasn't coming up in the series, we wouldn't be preaching about this, this, but this matter of demons. And I do have to say, we have been lulled to sleep by the enemy to think that the demonic is not operating in our society. We explain many things away through education and through medicine and through science and through academia that were clearly referred to as demonic activity in the Scripture. The demonic activity hasn't changed. We've become very dull to it. And many of the precious lost souls that we're waiting for, that we're praying for, that we're looking for, are caught up in the demonic. It might not be that obvious, but there are strongholds in their thinking that the demonic holds them. The Scripture says we have the power to... Tear down strongholds that keep people from coming to know God. So I'm just here to say whether you believe it or not or whether you see it or not, the demonic is very, very active in our society today and in the 21st century. We're just too educated to notice it or believe it. We think we are. So again, the rule of thumb for this thing of if the demonic begins to harass and confront us, your family, your household, especially your ministry, yes, we must exercise authority of Christ over it. And one other note that I think is very important. What is Satan from the beginning? A liar. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he deceives us into thinking that exorcism is this long, drawn-out power struggle. And are we up for it? Notice it says, and instantly, instantly, instantly it left her. And you think about any demonic encounter in Scripture, and that's the case. Can you think of any drawn-out power encounter between God's people or even Jesus and a demon? Instantly it left her. Exorcism is not to be a three-hour power encounter with chants and formulas and incantations and rituals. And it doesn't have to be loud and it doesn't have to be shouting. It's a simple authority encounter. It's not a power encounter. It's an authority encounter. And the name of Jesus is more powerful than all the demonic taken together. And the demons know it. We're the ones that don't realize it. They know it. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. The demonic knows where the authority lies. Jesus had all authority given to him, and then he gave it to his people. Passed it on to his people. Back to Acts 19. So this is referring to that instance with the sons of Sceva. But one time when they tried it, exorcism, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Oh, man. Hey, that's not something you want to hear in the midst of an exorcism. That's like waking up prematurely during surgery and hearing the surgeon say, oops. 
Terrifying, right? Well, in this instance, something went horribly wrong with this exorcism. Exorcism going bad. The demon didn't recognize the sons of Sceva. Jesus it knew. Paul it knew. The sons of Sceva, it didn't know. It, the demon did not recognize these guys. Or better said, the demon didn't, did not recognize these guys as having any authority over it. See that? The demon knew Jesus. He knew Paul. He wasn't going to mess there. But these guys, he knew they didn't have any authority over him, it, whatever they are. And he knew that because he knew they didn't know Jesus. They were not believers. Ready to move on? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them. He overpowered them, and he attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Verse 16 is self-explanatory. No hidden messages there, no hidden meanings, no murky wording that we'd have to look up in the original. It was an exorcism gone bad. The sons of Sceva took a beating. The demon put a big hurt on them. One against seven, and the one won. So you don't want to mess with the demonic, and I'm not up here telling us to be afraid at all. There's no fear. I'm just saying you don't want to mess with the demonic unless you know Jesus and you know you're walking close. You and Jesus are tight and you know the Holy Spirit is directing this thing. Then go for it. With all authority and all confidence. But don't go out looking for it. BMOC. BMIC. Big man in the church. Casting out demons and stuff. When I first started in the ministry, I was warned that there was a lot of demonic activity in Columbia. This is a true story. So my pastor took me over to meet the denomination officials because we were starting a church in Columbia. And I got in there. There was a trailer over in York County down Summit Grove Camp. Some of you have been there. And so we were sitting down there, and they started questioning me. And they said, does Columbia have, like, a drug problem? Yeah. Gangs. Yep. A lot of domestic violence, marriage split up. Yep, yep. Right on down the line. And they said, yeah, that explains why when we try and pray for Columbia, this is our denomination officials. When we try and pray for Columbia, we just see this huge, dark cloud over Columbia. It's like impenetrable. It like eats up the churches. And I said, yep, you got the wrong guy. And out the trail I went and up the path. Pastor Sanger came running after me, pinned me against a tree. And talked me into going back in there. And the rest is history. Hey, I prayed when I first started this ministry. I'm not out for a deliverance ministry. I'm not looking for the demonic. Only, 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 Lord, if I have to face it, do I want to face it. I've had a few encounters. Not a whole lot. Last comment, that word, Naked. They fled from the house naked and battered, and you're like, why didn't they have any clothes on, right? It doesn't really mean that. It doesn't mean without any clothes on. It's a word that means your clothes are tattered and torn. So their clothes are tattered and torn from the scuffle that they have just been through with this demon-possessed man.
Luke lists four results of this incident. And in these results will lie the application for us today. I'm going to briefly go through the four results. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and and Greeks or Gentiles alike. And a solemn fear descended on the city. So, of course, the news spread far and wide. If that had happened in Columbia, we'd hear about it. So it was spreading through the region. And the first result was that a solemn fear descended on the city. This got the people's attention. We're talking signs, wonders, and miracles. God's purpose and role in them. This got the attention of the people. Their possible reasonings. Like put yourself in their mindset. Living in this occulty, superstitious city of Ephesians. How might they be thinking about this? Now, this is us reasoning. This is us speculating. Scripture doesn't actually say this. But their thinking probably went along these lines. Hey, if this happened to the sons of Sceva, who are seasoned exorcists, then what can this mean? Is is the demonic becoming more powerful than even the Jewish exorcists? Is the demonic now going to terrorize us and terrorize the people of the region? Who knows where this might go? See, they were already skittish of the paranormal. That's why they were always offering sacrifices to appease these demons, their gods and goddesses, their idols. Also, they were probably thinking, who is this Jesus? Who is this Paul? The demonic seems to recognize them, and even more, the demonic seems to have some fear of them. They seem to have some authority over the demonic realm. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Paul? Can you begin to see the reasoning, God's reasoning, that would cause their reasoning? Why God would have allowed this to happen, why he did it maybe. The Holy Spirit induced a divine fear over the entire Ephesus region, and they had the people thinking. Next slide, the second result. And the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. There you go. That's the purpose of this thing. What's the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles? That God is glorified. The name of the Lord Jesus was greatly glorified, greatly honored. It was not only becoming known now in the region, he was being recognized and being given the honor and glory due his name through this exorcism going bad. God's amazing. You can say amen to that. God's amazing. As they checked into this thing further, the people, they became aware of who Jesus truly is. Third result. Many who became believers... There's the second purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles. People get saved off of that stuff. God is glorified. Many folks come to know the Lord. So many became believers. Many put their faith and trust in the their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Jews, they recognized him as their Messiah. And for the Greeks or the Gentiles, they recognized him as Savior. Many were saved now. Many were born again. Many came to know the Lord. Many received eternal life, however you want to express that experience, off of this exorcism going bad. Fourth result. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, the occult, 
brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was, seven, was several million dollars. I think Heather read a version that had still used drachmas, but if you calculate the increase of what a drachma was worth then to, in our money to what it's worth now, they burned several million dollars worth of their occult stuff. <laughs> they weren't that rich to begin with. So not only did they profess faith and belief with their mouths, their words, they evidenced their salvation with their deeds, with their works. They acted on their getting saved. The people of that area and that culture were heavily steeped in the occult. We've said that. Superstition, idol worship, false religious practices. But when they were exposed to and they recognized and they understood the greater power of Jesus, they genuinely repented of that stuff and they turned to Jesus. Their genuine repentance is evidenced by their bringing all these sinful things and burning them, just getting rid of them. You hear of that happen every once in a while today yet. A community, the Lord visits a community and people get saved. The next thing you know, they're bringing their pornography books and they're bringing music that they shouldn't be listening to and they're bringing all kinds of stuff today and getting rid of it. I know when Deb and I first got saved, we got rid of some stuff. I'm not going to go into detail. You can ask me about that privately. I actually have some regrets on that, but we'll talk privately. <laughs> I had some classic albums, man, that they told me to get rid of, and I listened and got rid of them. Their repentance and salvation was so real through this exorcism going bad that anything in their lives that they perceived, even if it wasn't true, but that they perceived would hold them back in their newfound Christianity was up for grabs. It had to go. Did you hear what I just said? That's how serious they were. Anything that they perceived would now hold them back from their Christianity, they got rid of. They were totally serious. You talk about being sold out, right? Being on fire for the Lord, that kind of stuff. It had to go. So conclusion. What's Luke's intention for even including this in his writing? Luke's intention in giving us the facts of the passage is to reveal a biblical principle that's found behind the facts of the passage. Luke's primary intention in this passage is not to develop a doctrine or a teaching on demonology or deliverance ministry, although we did talk about that some. That's not his primary intention. You follow it? Do I need to say that again? It was not to develop a doctrine or a teaching of demonology or deliverance ministry. He's just relating the facts of what happened, an exorcism that went horribly wrong. Again, like last week, his intention is in the his, his intention in mentioning the facts of the passage is to reveal a biblical principle behind those facts. That's what's important for us in this application. Very important for us. Steve, again, your prayer so focused on what I'm going to say as we close. Luke's concern 
and Luke's purpose throughout all of Acts. Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't. The reason he wrote Acts, this is actually a a letter that he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. Remember that way back in Acts chapter 1? This is a letter that he's writing to a friend of his. And he's writing it because he wants to give an accurate account of the spread of the gospel message. The spread of the kingdom of heaven throughout the then known world. That's his focus. That's his reason for writing the entire book of Acts. We need to keep that in mind as we go through. Haven't we noticed after almost every section of details, stories, and accounts or events, then he mentions something like that the word of God increased. Many came to the Lord. The church was strengthened. They added to the number. The region was affected. Then he always adds in why he wrote those stories and gives us the result of those stories. And it always has to do with the gospel message being spread rapidly through the areas, the kingdom of God being spread. No different here. That's why he included the sons of Sceva. Verse 20. Here it is. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. That's why he included this. So that we knew that. So that he, begin, he shows us through Acts all the different, all the varying ways God uses to spread the gospel message and to expand the kingdom. And some of it's very bizarre, isn't it? Anointed hankies and aprons, uh, an exorcism going wrong. Some of the guys getting martyred and how that actually accelerated the work of the gospel. Following? So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. That was his intention. That's why he included this account in his writing. That's why we dealt with it today. Because of and then following this incident with the sons of Sceva, exorcism going bad, revival broke out in the region. The gospel message, the kingdom of of heaven, grew powerfully and exponentially throughout that entire area of Ephesus, of, of the modern-day country of Turkey. It began to impact. Now listen, if you were napping, wake up. This is what you don't want to miss. It began to impact and change the culture and the society of that day and in that area. That's why Luke included it because of the impact that this had in the spreading of the gospel in that region and bringing about revival in that region of transforming a culture that was ungodly, had turned away from God, was under the grip of Satan and his demons. The truth or the principle that Luke wants us to get is this. The power in the name of Jesus is greater than the powers of darkness in any culture or region. Don't be deceived by what is going on in our nation. The demonic has had control for decades, but right now, that control is crumbling. That control is collapsing. And the things that you see happening that just shock us are actually last-ditch, desperate attempts of the demonic to hold on to what they've had for decades. But God is on the move, and God is going to... God is going to break this down, and God is going to dismantle the hold 
that Satan has had on our nation and many nations of the world in these days ahead. And he's going to do it in a supernatural, powerful way that's going to blow the minds of the people and it's going to blow the minds of his church. The power in the name of Jesus is greater than the powers of darkness in any culture or region. The name of Jesus is greater than the hold the powers of darkness have on any people, any culture, any region, or any nation, including our prodigals. The power of the name of Jesus is is greater than the hold that Satan has on our children and on many of our loved ones who have not yet been able to come out of that. We need to grow in understanding and exercising. Exercising with an E, not exorcising with an O. We need to understand and begin to exercise the power of the name of Jesus to set people free. The name of Jesus is greater than the hold. The powers of darkness have on any people or person, any culture, any region, any nation. The proclamation of the gospel in the name of Jesus begins to powerfully and radically transform any people or person, culture, region, region, or nation. The demon said, Jesus, I know. The authority of the believers in Jesus' name is greater than any false god, any evil practice, any sinful hold of, on people, culture, or region, or nation. Paul, I know. Does any of that need to be said again? <laughs> okay, Heather, will you come and read? <laughs> it starts with this. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to powerfully and radically transform any people, any culture, any region, any nation. The demonic said, Jesus, I know. The proclamation of Jesus' gospel transforms. The authority of the believers, that's us, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, is greater than any of the false gods. It's greater than any of the evil practices. It's greater than any hold that evil has on a people, culture, region, or nation. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know, it's in his name. Paul, I know, because he knows Jesus, and it's his name, in his name. So you have the power of the gospel in Jesus' name and the power of the church, and it's an unstoppable force. Evil can't stop it. Evil has just convinced us that it can. Did you hear that? Evil can't stop it. Evil has just convinced us that it can. Evil has intimidated us. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Evil can't stop it. So the strategy was, I'll deceive the church so that they don't understand the power that they have. To overcome my kingdom. I'll keep them intimidated and fearful. Most people, including Christians, as soon as you hear the word demonic or demon possession, <gasps> When there should be no fear. We, Jesus has all authority and he imparted that authority to us. Now we don't take it lightly. I know one pastor friend, he called the Satan Gumby. 
He said he's a lion without teeth. Please don't laugh because I don't like that. You don't take it lightly, but you know that you have all the authority in Christ. So Luke uses this event, the facts of this story, an exorcism going bad, to illustrate for us readers what can happen in an area, a region, a person's life, a culture, when this truth about Jesus is proclaimed and when the church walks in this truth. He wrote this to show us what can happen. Jesus was greatly glorified. Many came to know the Lord. They came out of all their sinful practices. Revival broke out in that area. There's another place in Acts where it says, and there was great joy in that city. Application for us. The name of Jesus is greater than the powers of darkness operating in our nation today. Amen. What? Amen. Do you live in this nation? Do you care about this nation? The name of Jesus is greater than the powers of darkness operating in our nation today. Amen. The ecclesia, church, believers have greater authority in Jesus' name than the powers of darkness operating in our nation today. Amen. And don't let them deceive us into thinking it's, it's the opposite. It's the other way around. That they have the power. I remember watching one YouTube or C-SPAN or something. They were discussing this whole gender confusion issue. And a representative from Florida got up and he started to speak and he was quoting Genesis. In the beginning, God made them male and female and he was explaining, he was addressing the gender confusion issue from a biblical perspective. And the chairman who was ever chairing that session said to him, I think his name was Seely. He said, Mr. Seely, your religion and your faith and your values have no place in this Congress. At that point, the video went off, but I'm hoping that he stood up and he said, this is exactly where this needs to be heard. Amen. The name of Jesus is greater than the powers of darkness operating in our nation today. The ecclesia, the church, believers have greater authority in Jesus' name than the powers of darkness operating in our church today. We need to keep the focus. We need to be not... Not be distracted or deceived by the demonic powers of darkness. So subtly, subtly, or however you say that, deceptive. They just make it seem like it, it's so good and that this is what everybody wants and, and that you're foolish and you're intolerant and you're all this if you don't go along with it. We have to guard ourselves from that. And we need to take a stand. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be odd. Don't be collaring people and shove stuff down their throat. But don't back down when darkness tries to present itself and have the day. Another good place for an amen. amen. Keep the larger purpose in view. Revival is what we're after. A hundred lost souls. God being glorified. Many coming to know the Lord. Changed lives. Transformed communities and nations. And for us here specifically... We have a fresh vision of 100,000 lost souls coming to Christ in our area. Jamie, I couldn't remember who I asked to pray. Will you come forward? And Sonny, if you'll come forward, bring the band up. The rest of us will stand. James, good job. You knew that, right? You're up. I'm ready to go. Jamie, wait till we settle down and then pray. <laughs> you always get the good ones, don't you? <laughs> At least I'm happy. I'm laughing now. Because when this all began, I was like, I don't even want to hear this. 
you know God takes bad situations and he works them all out for good, right? So we can give him honor, glory, and praise for who he is because, you know, even the worst of situations, he makes good. Just one verse I wanted to read. I don't know. I'm just so encouraged by this message. It went from dark disaster to God getting the honor and the glory, and that's what we need to look at. I forgot all about that exorcism thing going bad. It's all about God and what he did in that town and that area and what he wants to do in this town, in this area, and in your life. And a couple of things I was hearing, if you don't mind me sharing, uh, was, you know, really we need to be humble. We need to, and I'm speaking to myself, but we need to get rid of those idols in our lives, get rid of them things in our lives that, you know, get in the way of, of our Father working, get in the way of him working in our area, our community, because he's got these big plans, and the only way he's going to, I shouldn't say the only way, but the, the way he wants to carry out is through you and I, but when we're full of stuff, he can't do it as well. So I just encourage you to humble yourself right now, lay your idols down, be serious about it, you know, and, and you know, it's just going to be so great, and the Lord is doing great and wonderful things. Uh, you know, he's answering these prayers. We heard from Justin. We hear from Justin week after week. God is answering prayers, and he's, he's doing it quickly. So we want to continue this move of God, you know, through CCF. And I'm not going to share this verse. It's not fitting. Let's just pray, okay? But take some time. If while I'm praying, if you if you need to lay something down, take care of it, please. Father, I just want to give you thanks and glory for who you are. We humble ourselves before you. You have made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And if it wasn't for your son, Jesus, we couldn't even stand before you. Thank you. I thank you for the truth in your word, how it impacts us. Oh, Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given us to speak this word to us and to operate through us. Thank you for the encouragement through it, Lord. You took this bad situation and you made it so good. People came to know you as their savior. You ripped them out of the grips of the enemy. Yes, right. Father, we just want to know our place exactly with you. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, Spirit daily. Only doing what the Father tells us to do. Because we saw how dangerous it can be without you, Lord. 
without your guidance, yes, well, Father, it's, it's certainly, <laughs> this just proves it is not us, it's you. So, Father, we want to give you humbly before you stand before you humbly, give you honor, glory, praise, and worship yes. for who you are and yes. all that you are. I thank you for salvation, forgiveness. Father, cleanse your people. Yes. Humble us, O oh Lord, and continue healing our nation, our land. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, anoint each one of us for the area of service that you have called us to. Father, Just quickly remind us when we're at fault so that we can confess it yes. and we can move past it and we can be your servants yes. because we love you. Mm. And may our love for you be greater than the love of anything in this earth, in this world. And Lord, could our eyes look upon the crowds and have compassion just as you do. But I want to thank you, Lord, and I want to praise you, give you honor and glory. And now, Lord, we want to worship you with happy and joyful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.